This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm learning humility. You know, there's a universe out there. You could be a son, but there's other sons. It's right. simple as that. And so, so I think that, but I do think what I'm destined to teach, if anything, is that you can be a living example of your own ideas. Do you believe that anything's possible or do you believe that circumstances dictate our destiny? Wow, that's a strong question. I think that persistence overcomes resistance. So therefore, every possibility is actually expressed in our children's wishes. Um, The things we wish for as young minds and things we thrive our spirits for, I think, makes what seems impossible possible, in my opinion. It's just like, if you remember the old Greek story of, uh, of Icarus and the idea of, of man flying, and it seemed like that would be a magic or some other thing, some spiritual thing would happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, we fly every day now, right? And many different variations of flight, from flight that leaves uh, our basic atmosphere, the flights that travel across the whole world. So I think positivity. I don't think every negative thing... I think there's some. I think impossibility ends itself at negativity, but I think in positivity, possibilities are probably uh, boundless. And what do you think can be learned from poverty, and what do you think can be learned from wealth? Well, poverty and wealth are two very different circumstances, but they're physical circumstances in all reality. And the physical circumstance. I think we have to be conscious to not have the physical circumstance truly shape our spiritual and our personality. Now, I grew up in poverty, of course, mm-hmm. but I was never unhappy. You know, joy and love was in my household, and then my mother was a single mother. But mm-hmm. joy and love made up for the lack of food and shelter in all reality. Wow. So, so the point I make by saying that is that, of course, uh, in a capitalist society— Right, um, freedoms are compartmentalized. So therefore, you could be physically free and not spiritual free, or you could be physically and spiritual free, but not economically free. Right. You know what I mean? And so, I would say, since economic freedom is a basically it's a requirement for proper food, clothing, and shelter, mm-hmm. poverty now becomes something that not that's not just physical. Now it is spiritual, right? Because if life was simple, everything we want is already provided for by the planet. There's nothing on this planet that we eat, ingest, take, dance with, fly with, 
that's not from the planet, mm-hmm. right? But it's just that when you deal with certain systems, they take control over that. So in communism, they take control over the airway. Mm-hmm. In capitalism, take control of the airway. Socialism, their way. Dictatorship, all these different ways. And even in some religion traditions, there, there's ways to control, which is naturally ours. Right. But if you look at it, and I'll say one last thing, because, you know, I'm out here in Jersey Woods, and I seen some deer just walk by, whole family, eating whatever they ate and kept walking. Yes. I think about that all the time. I'm like... I'll look at the birds outside and I'm like, they don't need anything. They figured it all out for free. Yeah. There's a beautiful verse in the Holy Quran mm-hmm. that actually speaks on that. I'll paraphrase it. It says something like the birds and the bees basically are taken care of every day without no worry. Mm-hmm. You think that Allah would do less for man, his greatest creation? No, so so everything that they have access to, we have access to. It's just that we've grabbed control over it and denied access to certain people. Right. And and that you know that that's that's playing into uh you know I know we had to talk about my film Control yeah. City, mm-hmm. but it plays right into that. Right, and that's why I'm asking about it. <laughs> yeah, you know one of the biggest issues of the situation in the film that mm-hmm. that I think is that I hope that the, the audience catch is he goes in with his wife and his child for help. Mm-hmm. From FEMA, and they asked him, "Well, you know, how much? What's, what's your salary?" She said, "You know, about thirty-two thousand. Yeah. yeah. Okay, not a bad salary, right? Not a great salary, right? But well, it's a, a it's a hard salary. It's a, a salary that it would be very challenging to raise a family on, right? We would agree. Yeah, yeah. I will agree. But also within that salary, though, if she's making thirty-two thousand, she's paying at least one third of that in taxes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and her tax money." It's paid to, to a system to protect the when the time comes that you need the protection. Right. So the tax money should build your roads, should give you your law enforcement, should give you your snow cleanup, right? Right, right. Opinion. But now here it is that I'm in need of what I've paid into mm-hmm. and I'm being denied because of my community or because of my race. That's the equation I think we overlook in our capitalist society. The money that that they spend every year is not their money. It's our money that they are controlling. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's something that I, I was researching about the Lower Ninth Ward. I, I brought this up here. I just need my glasses. Um, because, you know, the film is about these people that are living in the Lower Ninth Ward. And as we know, the water levels are much higher because it's downriver, right? And, and But uh, I'm sure you saw this, that in 1965, there was also a hurricane. Same thing happened. The levees broke. They were not built properly. They broke. City got flooded in that particular area. So they already knew that this was a strong possibility, and yet they did nothing. So that when it happened again in 2005, they were basically sitting ducks. So you have to ask what was wrong with the politics, the infrastructure of that city that they would allow it to happen, not once, but, but twice. Well, right? if you keep digging a little more research, you realize it happened three times. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, well... The line that Ethan Hawke gives in the film, uh, he, he actually, what he's talking about is it happened, you know, in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. But it was more of intentional because they let the levees break so the water could flood the lower right. night. So it wouldn't spread up to the, to the to, as he said, to the white districts. Right. So, um, but look, the thing about... You know, separation of, of people through race, creed, color, or economics, right? It's something that existed a long time in our country, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest issue of it 
is that in the beginning, right? In the beginning of something, it, it has to be struggle in the beginning. Like the baby even struggles just doing birth to get out. But once it's out, it's, it can breathe. The mother pain is gone. Right. The problem that we have in, the, in some of these situations is that it's no relief. It's no delivery from the situation. So it's different if like, like if, if my grandmother lived in the projects and lived in the hood or lived in the lower ninth and worked at the same rate as, as the other families are, she should be able to get out of the lower ninth, mm-hmm. right? But it's a way, it seems like the people are oppressed and stuck there. Or even if the lower ninth was built and it was like, okay, that's kind of low income and everybody is here, right? As a city, as your city is growing and the tax money is coming in, the city's supposed to then say, okay, everybody, we're going from the lower ninth and moving to another location because it's better. And we now have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I understand, you know, I started in a small apartment when I left my house. I was 19 years old. My mother, you know, I had to leave. The time was to go. Right. I started in a small apartment. Ghostface was my roommate. We had another roommate, my cousin Warren. We lived there, three guys in a one-bedroom. And we stayed there until we raised enough money to get a two-bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you mean. <laughs> kept going. And yeah. then it got to the point like, okay, one of us can move out and one of us still stay. Right. And it, that lasted until we hit big. So the point is, I don't, it's okay to start and, and struggle. Right. But when there's no belief to struggle, that's when it becomes insidious, evil, uh, oppressive. Because, like I said, the money that FEMA was given in 2005 for Hurricane Katrina relief was the money of the people. It wasn't their money. The government has never given us right. his money. Right. It's our money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Did the cast, it's a remarkable cast. What kind of discussions did you guys have about not just the fact that you were making a film, but that you were telling a story about how these people had to live, how they really didn't have access to certain resources? I mean, did you guys discuss the fact that there was a message that you wanted to get across I mean, the story written by Paul, Paul Kishori wrote the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And when he first wrote it, just so you could get a little history on it, I first got a copy of the screenplay maybe only seven years after Katrina. Right? So I had just finished doing Man with the Iron Fist, and I was looking for my next project. And I said, maybe I won't write it. I'll have somebody else. I'll read somebody else's material, because I'm the type of guy that writes his own material. Right. And this came across my desk, and Paul was looking for a director. And when he first gave it to me, People were still without running water and electricity in some parts of the lower night. Mm-hmm. Seven years later. Yeah. So that alone didn't make sense. And I think th- that some of the people that's in, the, that's in it, like Terrence Howard, uh, um, not Wesley, but Terrence, Isaiah, some of them, they read it early. Okay. And so, so they were already compelled with the story. And by the time we got a chance to do the story and bring it to uh, cinema, um, it was... It was really the, the, the resonation of how people felt about the story and telling that story, being a part of telling the story. Mm-hmm. And I think every actor, you know, especially the OG actors, had something in mind of what they wanted to bring. Like Wesley Snipes, he's bringing a father who went, went through it, mm-hmm. went through his problems at home, left home, right? Mm-hmm. Left, his, left his family uh, because of lack of opportunities. And then was too afraid to come back home. Right. Right. So, and I think he, 
you know, when Wesley, when, we, when he came to set, it was beautiful because we had built, he had to build his own little shanty house. The house, that. yeah. Yeah. And when he walked in there, he walked around and he kind of felt the vibe. The next day he came, he's like, I'm going to have this pipe. That was like a choice that he, he felt that this is the kind of guy that's going to live here. There was nothing in the pipe. Right. right? So <laughs> the idea was that it reflects his sight, it reflects the psychology yeah. of a guy like this. And when he delivered the line, when, when Shamik Moore, uh, who plays Blink, mm-hmm. was like, you know, because he's telling Blink, pride gets you, man. Pride will always get you. Pride is your enemy. And he's like, what? Is it pride? Is it pride that made you run away from me? Made you run away from my family and leave us? He said, no. It was pride that kept me from coming back. And I thought that was a beautiful line. And I thought right. Wesley delivered it. Cause and that's the story of a lot of families. You know, and, and so when I got the screenplay, first and foremost, I'm not from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I don't speak their dialect. I don't got their Did you go there? Did you travel? Oh, yeah, of course. We, yeah, I traveled there many times. But, we I mean, prior to filming, yeah. Yeah, I, I spent time there various times. When they was doing Django, you know, Tarantino, I was always go to his sets, and I sat there, and I spent, like, you know, like three weeks of studying mm-hmm. in the city. Um, but point being made is that it wasn't just that it was about these four guys with the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, it was the fact that this was a story when aspirations turned into desperations. And that I've known, that I've felt, that I've lived. I've been, I'm a single mother, I'm a single mother household. My whole crew, seven of the nine members are that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the difference is, Blake was, was a nerd in all reality. He was, uh, he was academic. He, he went to college. He, mm-hmm. he had a talent. That broke my heart. That was what was heartbreaking about the story is that here's a guy who went to Tulane who has such extraordinary talent and it's wasted talent. It's, it's a squandered life, you know, but then at the end of the film, there's two different endings. Mm. Explain that. Okay. Should I, I I hate to go on spoilers, but a lot of people have been tweeting trying to ask me what's going on. Look, the best way I can explain it as, as an artist you get to tell a story and paint a picture mm-hmm. and you leave the picture up for interpretation. So the artist in me left it up for interpretation. Okay. But the reason why, I'm going to tell you the reason why. And if you go back and look at the film closely, you'll see that there's a, there's an egg in there that should answer the question, okay. but maybe, maybe, maybe people missed it. But the reason why is because in life, very few of us get second chances. But what happens if you give a man a second chance? Well, for me, I'm a second chancer. Mm-hmm. You know, when I read this story, I felt blink all in my system. I felt his pain. And then I realized that I actually was an artist and a smart guy. And I got caught up in drug game and streets and ended up facing eight years in jail. Mm-hmm. But I won my trial. And when I won my trial, I changed my life. And I focus on study, making myself better, mm-hmm. looking at my creativity, and I formed the Wu-Tang Clan. Got and it. I became a success story because I was given a second chance. I wasn't bad. A lot of people are not bad. They just made a bad decision. You know what I mean? And yeah. we could, even even if the criminal justice system could take a look at it. And my brother, my brother is the same. And most of the guys in the Wu is the same. We're all arrested felons or something like that. And and we had a second chance. So I wanted to express that in the film. In the original screenplay, though, I have to be honest, mm-hmm. he dies in the original screenplay. Yeah. But as a director, 
I get to tell the story and I get to shape it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I want to shape this with optimism. Okay. Right? Because so many times we see the, 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 the brutal result, especially in our community. I said, you know what? I'm going to leave some optimism there. Then let the people who watch it decide which pill would they take? <laughs> which role would you take? You know, she told him a pen or a pencil would yeah. get you further than a gun. Right. He was like, no, not in the lower ninth, but she said it would. And I'm a living proof. It was the pencil and the pen that got me further than any time I was trying to do something foolish with a gun. Okay. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Well, speaking of that, like the pill, do you feel like you are, because you strike me as the kind of guy 
who is not in the matrix, that you are on the outside looking in, and that it's challenging to go through life when you kind of see everything for what it really is. And do you tend to isolate yourself at times because you feel like maybe a lot of people don't see the world the way that you do? Because I know that you, you, you are part of the 5% nation. I can tell what your ideology is. I can tell who you are. Do you sometimes feel like you don't quite sync up with the everyday person in a lot of ways? Well, no, I don't feel like that, like that I don't sync up. I, also, I kind of feel more like that, first of all, I feel blessed that I see the beauty of what I see. Mm -hmm. Whether anybody else see it or not, it's okay. It's not, it, it's, man, wow, they're missing it, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, like even as a vegan and never having to yearn for a steak, right? Mm -hmm. And never knowing, never having the idea in the back of my head of the pain I'm inflicting on someone else. It's a, it's a very liberating feeling right. to not be that cause of pain and, and turmoil in anything. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I don't feel isolated. I actually feel more kind of required, right? I'm required to just do what I'm supposed to do. Right. So that if there's positivity in what I'm doing, then may, may others see it. And, and, and they'll see it in their own given time. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm going to tell you something that they taught us uh, studying the lessons of the 5%. And the 5% also is a, sometimes it's misunderstood. What they're trying to say when they say 5%, they took a number of 100% mm -hmm. and they separated into the type of people on the average that's in the world. They said 10% of the people know the same thing that the 5% of people know, but the 10% use it to blood suck the people. They know that there's falsehood. They know that it's a it's a game. They know the they know the rules of the game. They're not playing it, but they're making everybody else play. Okay. So they say eighty five percent of the people are easily led in the wrong direction and hard to be led in the right direction. And the ten percent will lead them in mm -hmm. the wrong direction, even though they know the right direction. But okay. then they say there's five percent of the people who know the right direction and they strive to teach it. Right? Right. And that that, that doesn't mean that means and that means no matter where you go, if you have a hundred people in the room, there's a chance that there's five guys in there that really care. Mm -hmm. There's 10 guys who know better but don't give a F. Right. And there's 85 who's going to follow. Now, if you take that concept, and I'll try to get, get through this real quick. If you take that concept, the scientists who deal with quantum and measurement space, right. they said that all the atoms in the entire universe only represents 5% of the universe. Mm -hmm. And the rest is space. The rest is space. Right. So, it's, so it's a mathematical equation. And they taught us that we should all strive for the 12 jewels of life, which is knowledge, wisdom, understanding, mm -hmm. freedom, justice, and equality, food, clothing, and shelter, peace, and happiness. If you got that, you're rich. And I honestly feel that I have that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, to me, the more valuable, more valuable than anything. And as I, in my art, I try to express those qualities. Okay. You know? And in the film, who would you say was the most fun to direct? Who was the most challenging to direct? And who did you vibe with artistically the most? Wow. It's hard to separate such a great cast of great talent. Um, everyone just had their moments. It's almost like I had an all-star band, like an all-star team. And everybody just kept elevating the, 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 the film, elevating my creativity, elevating their creativity. Mm -hmm. So I can't single them out, but I could say, you know, you know, Kat Graham really shows that it's not just beauty in mm -hmm. her, it's strength, 
and, and expression. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that she became the anchor of that family. And she did it beautifully. Like, you know, she could have played it any other. She could have played it, you know, pretty and sexy. She was willing to, to you know, she, even though she was beautiful on screen, it was a natural. It wasn't like uh, she had to fit on high heels and all this stuff, right? And she was strong to go and fight for her man. Uh, Ethan Hawke, I felt like, we felt like we was on a natural high working together. The, the, the way the ideas was flowing back and forth, you know, the choices, the, his, his choices of emotion, Rob Morgan. But as a, as a fan, it was a joy to have Terrence Howard, you know, come and work in my film. I'm a fan of all his work. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of Wesley Snipes. And I'm a fan of Isaiah Washington. And, and to have those guys pop in my film and, and deliver those performances was great. Did you think that Kat originally was too pretty for the role? Was it? Was there ever a situation like that, or where it wasn't even a thought? No, it wasn't a thought. She, I got lucky to get Kat. We, I actually had voted for another. We had developed it for another actress who became unavailable about two weeks before we were shooting. Okay. And and it, it became a a small problem for us. And and then uh, an agent said that Kat Graham has read it and she's interested. Would you be interested to talk with her? And we did a FaceTime and she said exactly what I needed to hear. Which, which was. was like, the strength of this woman is in the pages. It's in the pages, Bobby, and I want to bring you that strength. Okay. She was. She, it wasn't about bringing me beauty. It was about bringing me strength. And then when you look at um, Ti, Ti, totally kind of. I would say if anybody shocked me and, and like blew my mind, like yeah. a, like a, like a dope first Ti, because he also came in like one of the last casting. You know, I always had I had the film for five years developing it. I always wanted Method Man to play cousin. Okay. Because I wanted Method Man to be a big, you know, he's got all these muscles now. So I always yeah. wanted him to be that guy. And he didn't want to, he was like, I'm not into the bad guy roles right now. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on something different. I said, okay, wow, I got to find. And then when T.I. read it and became a valuable, I said, wow, I would never have thought that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about it. And he, you know, he gave me a couple of things which, which he thought would be, healthy for the character and i agreed with him which was was the was the redeeming moment of the character mm -hmm. and the redeeming moment is when he reaches in his pocket and gives her some money for the kid but he still goes back and say you know what do you do right so he's it's like a double edge but it shows yeah. that he's also a victim of that circumstance but his performance to me uh his nuances i feel like he's he's a standout in this movie you know yeah I mean? a lot just, of people you know, a lot of people are saying that yeah, I mean, I was really, you know, not, uh, it's one of his, it's, he, you know, he's been doing a lot of movies and he's doing a great job out there. I think this is definitely one of his top, you know, if it was a hip-hop verse, mm -hmm. it's one of his best verses. And what do you want people to get from the film in terms of the wealth gap and the social and societal inequities that go on in cities all across this country? I mean, what do you hope people get from this film beyond just being entertained? Well, it's in there, right? Of course, you know, we make it to entertain you and we want you to have fun and, and fall in love with these boys and characters and maybe see your own children or your own family and these kids mm -hmm. and realize, you know, like, let's just say if I was to separate people from each other, like separate black from white, mm -hmm. I said, I wouldn't probably do that. But let's just say separate the mindset of a criminal to the mindset of a law-abiding citizen. Okay. Let's just say that more. And I would think more like the people who see these four men as criminals mm -hmm. right can now understand that they're a victim of circumstance right you know what i mean and if we could walk away 
and understand that some people who are in bad situations are victims of the circumstances, we could prevent the circumstances. That would, you know, make that sense makes sense. To you, but that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's like, how do we prevent the circumstances? Yeah. You know, there's a, there was, before I started the movie, I had met with a guy who was locked up and he told me that uh, he read an article about me and he agreed with it. I said, which article was that? He said, well, you had an article and you said that you are a nerd. And I was like, the wizard's a nerd. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I am. Yo, I like comic books. I like video games. Yeah. I, I like chess. I like. He said, yeah, you know, this is no, but no, I'm, I, the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. This guy served 15 years for armed robbery, but he he was saying that really he's a creative force, but he was, but he, but it was no way, no outlet. Yeah. And so he he, he got caught up in the hustle. And then he said there was another guy that was in his cell with him, mm-hmm. uh, who. Ended up fixing all the computers inside the jail, but he's in for murder. And he, when he told him that he was a nerd, he he said, "Yo, I am too." The reason the people who I even not not taking out, I'm not justifying no murder, but mm-hmm. he said that he was bullied and bullied and bullied. He was forced to fight. Right. And once he fought, it was like he became a cowboy because it's yeah. just like. And I get that. That out. resonates with me for for some reason. I don't look it. But that that resonates for me, with me that you you hit a limit where you just go into a different mindset and your mindset is that of a fighter. Yeah. So. I don't fight that, yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, I hope people enjoy this film. I really put a lot into it. I think at one point the film could spell complicated. <laughs> then at one point it should be yeah. You know, simple math. You know, uh, I I try to mix in all my teachers. You know, I got my John Woo, got my Tarantino, I got my John Chamus, Bob's all in there. Uh, but more importantly, I definitely found something in that in those characters in myself, mm-hmm. and that's one of the main reasons why I made the film is to reflect that energy. What do you think you came into this world to learn, and what do you think you came here to teach in this lifetime? Uh, that's a beautiful question. Well, I'll say one thing that I am learning, so maybe I had to learn it. <laughs> uh, I'm learning humility, mm-hmm. and even though I may have appeared on the surface of habit. Um, it was something that I think I lacked. You know, I was pretty conceited really coming up. You listen to my old music, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing of you. It's yeah. like, I just felt everybody could be easy. I just felt I was the, you know, it's okay though, but I felt like I'm the greatest and everybody is beneath me. Well, you, you, know were, I mean? you were in your 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. Hello. Okay, so, but, you know, yeah, <laughs> so, but it's good to understand that there's a universe out there. You could be a son, but there's other sons. It's right. simple as that. And so, so I think that, but I do think that what, I, what I'm destined to teach, if anything, is that you can be a living example of your own ideas mm-hmm. and, through, and, through, and through my art and I'll be able to inspire. That's the best thing. I think I'm, you know, I was born here to inspire. To inspire. I, I was born to inspire. Okay. What is still on your bucket list, if anything? Wow, well, that, we're going to have to get a whole other interview. I've got so many things I still got to do and want to do. Is there, like, one thing that you're like, I have to do this? Whether it could be work, work-related work or it could be just personal? Well, one thing that, I, that I'm looking forward to doing, hopefully in the near future, I've never been to India. Okay. And I just need to, I think I have to check that one off. <laughs> okay. I could see you vibing with Sad Guru. Do you know who he is? Nah. Sad Guru? Google him or YouTube him. You'll see what okay. you see what I mean. So, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking to you. All right. Good luck with everything. Good luck with the film. Thank you. Peace. Bye.